Hey folks, this is John Curry. I have the pleasure today of sitting across the table with my friend Gary Anton. Thank you for being here today. You say it's a pleasure. <laughs> if you say it is, that's great. <laughs> well, some people you encountered along the way because of your past life, they may not want to be around you even today. Well, most of them, my wife included. <laughs> uh, inside joke, folks, uh, Gary, for most of his career, was a, an attorney, a litigator, but more on that later. Today, we're continuing the theme about planning for life's unplanned events as much as you can, but also the concept of health and wealth. You can have a lot of money, Gary, and be just loaded to the gills with money. But if your health is bad, the money is not as important. And also, you said earlier that if you have health problems, you could end up spending all of your money and have no wealth. So we'll touch on that also. But let's start off by talking about how we first met. Uh, in 1978, uh, tell the folks where you were at that time, what you were doing. Yeah, well, I, I don't remember if I had just graduated undergraduate or was just starting law school, but it was 78, and that's when I graduated from undergraduate and started law school. So it was somewhere right around that time. Around that time. And I think you uh, gave me a cold contact, and I figured, wait a sec, I'm graduating from law school. I mean, I'm graduating from uh, undergrad, going into law school. Uh, maybe I need some insurance. Right. Back then, it was a, you replied to a mailing I did regarding mortgage protection. Mm -hmm. So you bought some life insurance to take care of the mortgage on your home. That's right. That was our first step working together. That's a long time ago. That was. Long time ago. That mortgage was long since paid off. Yes. Isn't that a great thing? Yes. That is a good thing. So tell us a little bit about what type of career did you have in law? I had a good career. I actually uh, enjoyed what I was doing. It was all civil law. Graduated from law school and entered the bar in 1981. Uh, when I uh, got admitted to the bar, I was 6'2", blonde hair, blue eyes. 36 years later, I'm six foot under, bald and blind. So I think I had a successful career. Uh, but I uh, had a very good career, a very rewarding career in law very trying, so to speak, and uh, very pressure-packed, but very challenging, and uh, was always up to the challenge. I liked it. Was the majority of your work trial work? Yes. That's why I say I was 6'2 blonde. (laughs) You got uh, beat up a lot. Yeah, when I started trying cases, and I look at me. Yeah, most of my work was trial work, and uh, very, very demanding, extremely demanding, time-wise, away from home, uh, away from vacations, having to cancel vacations, having to cancel bowl games. And, uh, you know, those are the types of things when you don't control your calendar, somebody else, uh, you know, dictates, particularly judges, you know, when you need to be somewhere and uh, what time. And so, so that, that was a big issue, uh, not being in control of my calendar. And it was stressful, but it was very enjoyable. Very rewarding, I would think, too. Yeah, so very personally rewarding. Uh, I don't want to blow my own horn, but I did real well. I, I was an expert in what I did. I'm still certified in certain areas of the law as an expert by the Florida Bar. And uh, I um, rose to the top of what I was doing. I was representing major companies. I've had cases decided by the United States Supreme Court. Uh, I've appeared in courts all over the country. I taught law for 10 years. I lectured all over the country. Uh, I, I focused on a topic. 
throughout my career, and uh, I enjoyed what I was doing, so I excelled at it. That's great. And then health intervened. Let's break down what you just said, though, before we move on to that the next part about health. You made a comment about control of your time, and what went through my mind is time freedom and money freedom. We see so many clients who they hate their jobs, so they can't wait until they get able to retire. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> they've got all this time, but they haven't planned for the time. Like, well, what, what do I do? They have no hobbies, no interest. So what you're talking about is controlling your time to the extent that you can. But you also made a comment about pressure. Pretty much everything we do nowadays, as far as work, there's some type of pressure on us. In our world, as regulators. And we have to be very careful what we say and do because people... State, federal, they're taking a look at everything we do. So you don't dare do anything improper unless you're stupid. (laughs) Uh, So let's go back to what we said about uh, time and uh, especially judges. Without revealing the name of anyone, uh, share with uh, our audience what you shared with me about the vacation you had to cancel. Because I remember early on in our relationship, you were mad as hell because you had to cancel a trip. Yeah, we will uh, leave the name of the judge uh, anonymous. Uh, we had planned a Christmas vacation with the family in South Carolina, and we were going to conclude that vacation uh, with a bowl game at the Gator Bowl uh, on January 1st. And then, uh, oh, a couple of weeks, maybe in December. I mean, we planned this long before, uh, except for the bowl game, of course. Uh, we found out about the bowl game and were able to set it up. But after that, judge decided he was going to set a trial and because uh, we couldn't settle the case and he set the trial date the day after January 1st <laughs> January 2nd I was to report to trial well what did that do that messed up my vacation because I'm trying to have fun with my family and relax and in the meantime my whole stomach is in knots getting ready for this trial and wondering what was going to happen. And and sure enough, we had to cut the uh, vacation, the Christmas vacation short, drove right past the Gator Bowl, waved my tickets on the window, <laughs> out the window on the way past, and uh, still had those tickets. <laughs> Never made it. As a memento. Yes. You should get those memory. You should frame those and put them on the wall. <laughs> I have my Woodstock tickets framed. Because that was a very favorable memory. Uh, yes. that, that memory of going by the, the uh, Gator Bowl when the Knolls were playing. And it was a major game at the time, it was back in the 80s, and the Knolls were doing okay. Uh, yeah, no, I still have those tickets. All right, uh, you just said Woodstock. Did you go to Woodstock? Yes. I never knew this about you, so tell us that story. I want to hear this. Well, I had uh, graduated from high school in late May of 1969. The day after graduation, a bunch of us jumped in a Volkswagen van. <laughs> I had a guitar, had a, served as a suitcase, had a duffel bag that had some clothes, and we just took off to New York. And then I decided I wanted to go visit some friends up in Boston and uh, uh had $20 in my pocket, and uh, it was a $10 trip, $10 ticket to fly from New York to Boston. So I got to Boston with $10 in my pocket <laughs> and uh, couldn't find my friend. <laughs> so 
hung around there for a while. It was 1969. It was in the middle of the heyday of long hairs and the hippies, and there was music everywhere, and Boston was great. It had 30-something colleges and universities. I was having the time of my life, and I got wind of this concert that was going to happen in New York. And uh, I sent away and bought my tickets ahead of time, $5 <laughs> each day. So $15 for three days worth of music. And uh, they ended up having to change the location at the last moment because the city of uh, Woodstock said no. And then they did it in Bethel. On the farm. Yeah, on Masker's farm, Max Asker's farm. So uh, I remember about 8 o'clock in the morning, I stuck my thumb out on the interstate uh, Hike into New York, uh, go across Massachusetts into up, upstate New York, and uh, didn't bring anything with me. I had a, I had the clothes on my back. I had my tickets. I had a uh, a wine flask. I figured, uh, you know, I'd run out of wine. I could put water in it anyway, and that's about all I went with. I didn't have a change of clothes. I didn't have any knapsacks or no blankets, no sleeping bags. And uh, uh, as we got closer. The traffic just started backing up. Now, I was early. I got there on Friday morning, basically, Friday afternoon. Uh, but the traffic was so backed up, uh, the traffic would stop, and I was hitchhiking. So I just got out of the car and would walk. When the traffic would start moving again, everybody would jump on the back of the car they were next to until the traffic stopped again. Then you'd jump off and walk a little bit more and uh, got there just as they were taking down the fences. Uh, and uh, walked over that hill. I never saw so many people like uh, that many people in my life. Still haven't seen that. <laughs> I was going to say probably haven't in my life. Since. So I mean that was just a, an awe-inspiring sight. And uh, for three days, it actually went until Monday morning, and it was just a great time. Lots of good people. The conditions were terrible. There was no food. The toilets were overflowing. It had rained. It was muddy, uh, and everybody was just enjoying themselves. The music turned out to be a soundtrack because there was so much going on around. I didn't sit down much and just sit there and listen to the music. Uh, I did, but a lot of the times I got up and wandered around and made friends. I didn't go with anybody, so I was just exploring. I ended up behind the stage at one point uh, somehow. I don't know how I got there, and there were a bunch of musicians that had been playing were jamming behind the stage. I had no idea who they were. It was like three o'clock in the morning and there were people just sitting there jamming. I spent uh, an evening working in what they called the uh, the trip tent where people were having bad LSD trips and uh, all I had to do was sit there and talk to people and it worked out great because it was raining. And I was in a dry spot. <laughs> so you were dry. <laughs> I was dry. So I, I made the most of it. The music was phenomenal. Uh, the people were just absolutely great. It's the most influential time of my life. The most influential three days, four or five days actually, because I got there early, stayed late. Uh, really had a big impact on me. That's an awesome story. And I have the poster hanging up in the club as well as my tickets. From Woodstock goes. I went with hardly anything, but the only thing I came back with was a shirt on my back and the tickets, which were in my pocket. I had a military style shirt on, long sleeved, button down pocket. So I was able to keep the tickets. I lost everything else that I'd come with and went back with the tickets and still have them. 
That's awesome. You mentioned club. Tell them what club you're referring to. We'll circle back and tell them more about your club. Later. Oh, yeah, the, the Bradfordville Blues Club. Uh, that's what I've done to redeem myself for everything that I did as 36 years as a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I'm redeeming my karma. And uh, Kim and I have run the club for about 16 years. It's a blues club, uh, internationally recognized, got an international award again this year, named one of the top music venues in the world for six years in a row. Very nice. Doesn't make any money. It's an unintentional nonprofit, but I'm having the time of my life. So rebuilding that karma, as you put it. Rebuilding that karma, <clears throat> re-energizing, and taking advantage of the uh, my retirement. That's a good segue into why you retired. Talk a little bit about why you got out of the litigation world you're still a licensed attorney. You still do some yes. legal work, I think. But tell us what happened, what caused you to end up taking early retirement. Uh, I was in good health, other than you know, maybe some small, minor thing, blood pressure, stuff like that. But otherwise, I was in pretty good health. And uh, Kim and I had gone to the first Bowden Bowl in Clemson. Um, we... Uh, came back that Sunday. We usually take all the back roads because we like to see the, the back country. Uh, but this time it was late. We decided to take the interstate. And within 15 minutes of the time that we made it to the house, all of a sudden I was just in excruciating pain. I have never felt pain that bad in my life. And Kim immediately took me to the hospital and turned out I had what was called acute pancreatitis. Gallstones traveled out of my gallbladder into the common bile duct, lodged in the bile duct, and shut down um, many of my internal organs. And that put me in the hospital for a month, intensive care for a couple of weeks, and uh, uh, two weeks of induced coma. And that took a lot out of me, physically, uh, emotionally, mentally. I mean, it was a heck of a rehabilitation period because I was in the hospital for so long. Uh, and it made me realize that life is fleeting. I mean, I was coming back from a football game. I was just having a great time. And next thing I know, I'm in the emergency room. Uh, they didn't think I was going to make it. They summoned my family. And that's how quickly things can turn. And it did turn for me. Fortunately, I was able to recover from it uh, and uh, able to resume my life, but wasn't quite able to resume the rigors of the practice that I had before. But that also uh, uh, caused me to change my focus, my life focus, um, doing more of the things that I wanted to do, spending more time with my family, spending less time practicing law, not worrying about billing 15 hours a day, uh, weaning myself from the litigation practice that uh, had taken up so much of my time and doing more of the things that I wanted to do. How old were you at about this time? 49, 48. 48, young man. Yeah. Young man. At the, time, at the pinnacle of my career at the time. So many times in my career, 43 years now of doing this, I hear stories very similar. For me, it was my heart surgery, July 10, 2008, open heart surgery, three blocked arteries. And for others, it's been you know, diagnosed with diabetes or something like that, or right. heart trouble, cancer, <coughs> where people say, you know what, I got to slow down. I got to get some redirection in my life. It's not just about going to work and making money and, you know, you know have the big status symbol and all that stuff. And sadly, some people never get that. 
But what was your transition? Once you once you recovered, did you just cold turkey say, I'm done with this? Or no, I uh, weaned myself into uh, uh, mediating cases. I quit handling uh, major litigation. I was handling class actions, which had me uh, very, very busy traveling all over the country, very, very stressful, time-consuming. Uh, I couldn't practice for a few months during the rehabilitation period. So my rehab period actually made a lot of the decisions for me. Uh, and so when I was finally able to get back to the point where I could uh, practice, I had decided uh, I was not going to continue on, on the same path. And I found something much more amenable to my style, and that was uh, becoming a mediator, uh, where I was mediating cases and not being in the middle of the ring, uh, duking it out with an opponent, but actually as the referee in the ring, trying to help people settle things. And uh, that was uh, uh, much more suitable to my desires at the time to get away from the extreme rigors of practicing law and litigating and trying cases, uh, just spending a little bit more time doing what I wanted to do. And in fact, uh, Kim and I, that was 1999, Kim and I took over the Bradfordville Blues Club in January of 2002. So it kind of led it to uh, my, my next life venture. I remember <clears throat> us having an appointment one time to talk about your, your business stuff. And I had suggested we have an early meeting, like breakfast or maybe 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Because back in those days, I was seeing five, six people every day, started at 7 or 7.30 breakfast. Mm -hmm. And I remember you saying to me, John, I can do lunch, but I'm not going to do breakfast. I'm not going to do 9, probably nothing until after 10. And you're nodding your head. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. Tell, tell everybody who's listening some of what your attitude and philosophy was back then, because I loved it because you took a stand and you did the things you wanted to do. So share that. I did. I mean, once I got control of my calendar uh, where it wasn't being dictated by deadlines and rules and courts. And, and judges. <laughs> I decided I would go to work when I woke up. And it was rare that I got up before 10 o'clock. I'd show up in the office around noon. If I had a mediation, they started at 10 o'clock. Uh, I decided that uh, I was going to relax a lot more and, and, and not be in the rat race of having to uh, wake up every morning and get to the office and shave and shower and wear a coat and tie. And right. I came in the office in very, very casual clothes. Still do when I do go out, except when I mediate, I will put on a tie and a coat, but uh, if I, nowadays, I've got a pair of clean jeans and a pair of dirty jeans. And so <laughs> yep. I wash the dirty ones and wear the clean ones and then wash the other pair. You're like a cowboy. Two pair of jeans, one you're wearing and one you got for backup. Exactly. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that. I don't think I've seen you wearing a tie in probably 20 years. Yeah. I bet it's been 20 years. It has. I will wear a tie when I had a court appearance. I would wear a tie when I mediate. I would dress appropriately, but other than that, I've given away most of my suits and ties. In fact, I get, had so many ties, I gave a lot of them to this one woman who comes out to the club, Peggy Adair, and she made a uh, a comforter 
out of them. Wow. And I use that to cover my soundboard at the club. So I've got a neat blanket that's made out of my old ties that I see every day at the club. Next time in the club, I want to see that. I want to see that because I bet that's cool. So talk a little bit about the transition. So you became, did more work as a mediator, the referee, so I can see that. So instead of having to duke it out, you're trying to get people to resolve their problems instead of fighting. So how was your health at that point, and how did it progress? The health was okay. I mean, I never really uh, returned to the uh, pre-pancreatitis state. I mean, physically, I was, uh, you know, they had to remove some of my organs, and I had uh, uh, rehab that I had to do, and I just was tired. So I, you know, that was part of me slowing down and not, uh, uh, exerting myself as much. So I kind of slowed down what I was doing and, and slowly but surely moved out into advising clients instead of litigating. Uh, I made a conscious decision. I was not accepting any more cases that required me to go to court. I referred those out. I had clients that I had built up over my 30-something years of practice that I continued to maintain and did a little bit of uh, advice and consulting work. Uh, I did mediations. And then uh, uh, March 9, 2016, I had a liver transplant. And that really changed everything because I knew at that point, uh, I didn't know when the transplant was going to occur, but I knew it was going to occur sometime soon because I was way up on the list. So I had to make the decision to close my office because I knew I was not going to be able to uh, afford running the office. Uh, I was not going to be able to, to practice, and there was going to be quite a, a downtime uh, with the liver transplant. So at that point, I decided, there goes my law practice. Uh, I will focus on the mediations once I get back on my feet, and that's what I did. But essentially, my health in 1999 dictated my career path, and then the liver transplant further dictated uh, a a change in my career path. And that's when it was almost entirely mediations, nothing but mediations, and my club. When you came in the door, Jay asked you a question about how how's your day going or something, and you made the comment about uh, it's a good day. You, you woke up this morning. You're looking down at the grass, not up at the roots. Yeah. My, my New Year's resolution is to wake up every day. And so far for 2017, 2018, I've kept that resolution. That's a good thing. Yes. It's a that's, good thing. It's good, good thing. to be seen. I'm not being viewed. Life is good. Something I've always admired about you, Gary, ever since I've met you, is you, you've always got this upbeat mindset. Uh, some people... Some people hearing this and some people thinking about this would say, wow, how do you deal with something like that? And the truth is you just deal with it. But over the years, you've, you've never had this woe is me attitude. You've always you said, hey, this is life. I'm going to deal with it. And you've adjusted. Talk about that. Stuff happens <clears throat> in life. And you know, there, there's things that you can't control. And... Uh, I've just realized the things that I can control, those things I can't control, uh, sometimes throw curveballs my way, and I just have to overcome them and have to adapt. 
So I've always kind of had a flexible attitude. Uh, it doesn't do any good to wallow. I know I have my physical limitations now based upon my health conditions. I have some cognitive limitations based upon my health conditions. I realize what they are and I just have to adapt to them. And uh, uh, I've always had a, a, a pretty good attitude. It's just that the one thing I've always learned is there are certain things in life that are going to occur that you have no idea what they're going to happen, what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going to change your life. And when it does, uh, then it's a matter of adjusting and, and living with that condition and accepting it. Uh, I wish I didn't have to have the liver transplant. I wish I didn't have that uh, pancreatitis, but it's all had silver linings. I have a much better quality of life now. And uh, I don't have the income I did, uh, but Kim and I have done a good job of tightening our belts and living within our means and uh, uh, enjoying the time that we have. And I thoroughly enjoy it. Spent some day uh, yesterday with my granddaughter. Right. You know, here it was in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah, I'm spending time with my granddaughter and my daughter. Yeah, that's, that's what life is all about. Absolutely. Those are the good things, the, the, the small things in life. Well, you know, over the years, what you and Kim have done is you've been good stewards of what you have. Even when you have the higher income, you never were, that I know of, frivolous with your money. You've always serious and took good care of that. So, uh, yes, I, yeah, Kim and I did some traveling. Yes. Yeah, we, we enjoyed ourselves. <clears throat> I have not been cheated. If I die at the end of this interview, I can say that I've not been cheated in life. I have enjoyed life, and it's a little bit different than it was. Uh, I don't have the security that I wish I would have had because I've had to use most of my retirement, but that's part of what happens. Uh, we planned for it. The unexpected occurred and it was there. Very good. And you made some tough decisions along the way. You and Kim, from the standpoint of you set money aside to save in the 401k. I, I helped to a point, but let's be honest about it. You had to take action and follow through. You can have the best plan in the world, but if you don't take action, what good is it? So the two of you took action. Automatic withdrawal from my paychecks. That's right. My That's salaries. Right. I mean, I, it, it was money I never saw. Yeah. That was the way to do it. I just figured out how much did I need to live on and everything after that went into the 401k. Right. Right. Uh, what advice would you offer people who might be listening to this and they're on the edge about something, either their health or they've not done a good job of saving money or planning for retirement? What advice would you offer anyone who's listening? Yeah, why, why spend money on insurance? And then, boom, I remember uh, one day you called me and said, uh, you've been denied for life insurance. Uh, you better go uh, talk to your doctor. And found out that I had a virus uh, that made me uninsurable. Yes. And uh, so from that point forward, you know, I had to live with what I had. And, uh, you know, that happened totally unexpected. That was something that... I had no inkling of, uh, and I was fortunate while I was young uh, to plan ahead and, and purchase life insurance that I still have, uh, for the most part. Right. But uh, you know, I, I suggest to anybody who uh, is waffling on health and life insurance uh, that that's something you need to take care of when you're in good health. Because you don't know when that health is going to disappear and that good health is going to disappear. True. And uh, you become uninsurable. 
I remember uh, I'm sitting there and the doctor tells me, uh, we don't need a stent today for you because we're going to be doing triple bypass. Mm -hmm. Changes your health real quick. And I'm just thinking I'm out of breath because I'd gotten overweight and had not been exercising. (coughs) This thing I do, I'm in there and they're doing a little triple bypass open heart surgery. So the health status can change, right? Just like that, just like it changes. That. It changes that quickly. And without any warning. You know, sometimes yeah. you do have warning, but uh, in, uh, many times you don't have that warning. And so you can't rely on, I'm going to wake up the next morning. Yeah. Or <clears throat> I'm going to be insurable and I'll pick up that extra $100,000 of life insurance. Or maybe I'll get a better health insurance policy. The thing to do is, while you're young, while you're healthy, uh, to take care of those things. I used to moan and groan and complain about how much I was paying in insurance premiums. Yes. And I still do. Uh, But uh, had I not, I mean, I I now, at least if I pass, my wife and my daughter and my granddaughter are in good shape. Right. If my wife passes, I'm in good shape. So, you know, I've, I've, we've planned for the, uh, you know, the, the futures, and nobody gets out of this alive. I don't know who's going to go first, but uh, we at least were able in our, when we were able to, to plan ahead and uh, buy the insurance that we needed, including the health insurance. In our world, we talk about protect your today's first. So many people say, well, I'll get around to the insurance side later. Mm-hmm. So we believe in the philosophy of protect your days first. And that's what you did way back when you were a young guy. And I was young. You know, we're not so young anymore. But that's what you did. Well, we just because met. we're bald and yeah. blind and gray. and Well, you know. you've got more hair than I do. Yours is longer, <laughs> too. Yeah, But uh, it's definitely bald on top here, though. But that's what you guys did. You and Kim did the right thing early on, and you, you planned for your future. And now you uh, used to have a good lifestyle. Yeah, and, and when we planned for it and when we bought it, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I'm not going to need that life insurance anytime soon. I'm not going to need that health insurance. You know, it was, uh, you know, you, you, I got good advice, and I took the advice I was given to the best, you know, to the extent that I could. So, I mean, it's, you know, and you give good advice. You give me, you know, we've been working together 40 years now. That's right. 40 years. And I've, I've enjoyed it. You know, I just had a thought. It wasn't just about you could die. You've benefited by the living benefits of your insurance too. Yes, I've been able to use money and do things, and then put it back. So, so it's been a, it's been a good journey. Talk a little bit about uh, what the future holds. Tell us a little bit about what what you do with the Bradfordville Blues Club. When you when you bought that thing, I thought you're doing what? So tell us how that happened. Let's take the last few minutes and share that and. And uh, tell your story, because I think that's your future. I had been a music fan. In fact, I, in fact, I, I played guitar. Well, wait a second. I thought I could play guitar. Yeah, same here. I thought I could. Yeah, I, I even went to the Berkeley College of Music in Boston, one of the most prestigious music schools in the country, and still thought I could play guitar. <laughs> and uh, But then when I went to law school, uh, it kind of pulled me away from my passion and uh, I started living it vicariously by going out to what was called Dave's CC Club at the time. And Kim and I were there just about any time the club was open. Uh, we helped Dave out. I love the music. I love the blues. Uh, the club itself is just a phenomenal location, a very unique character and history behind it. 
And uh, we uh, found ourselves in a situation where Dave had to close it uh, because they had to move. And uh, I just so happened to come up into a, a little bit of money at the time. I can't remember what it was. I sold an asset or something. When Dave said, I'm closing, I said, okay, I'll buy your assets. And Kim and I talked about it. And we said, okay, we had no idea what we were getting into. <laughs> Never had opened. You were a lawyer. You were in a manager of a club. <laughs> yeah, I was a lawyer and I was still practicing law. And I was wondering, you know, okay, it might be fun for a year or two. You know, we'll try it out and see what happens. And uh, 16 years later, I haven't worked a day yet. It's uh, allowed me in my retirement to actually have fun. It's something I do. I have more, less time now in my retirement than I did when I was practicing. I thought practicing <laughs> was too time-consuming. The club is very time-consuming, but it's so enjoyable, and I love what I do, and it allows me to uh, not have to worry about, uh, uh, you know, I'm set with my Social Security and, and other income sources. Right. Uh, the club doesn't make any money. It's an unintentional nonprofit. But the, again, it's a quality of life issue. It's, I'm enjoying the heck out of being able to, every weekend, i got to listen to that stuff, some of the best music in the world. Right. And uh, the customers that come by there are such great people, and it's a community that helps keep us alive. So it's a, just a lot of fun to, to do that. And uh, a lot of my health holds out. You know, and people keep coming through the doors. You know, we'll continue to have fun out there. So you're, you're doing something you enjoy doing. You're benefiting from it because you get to hear the music. And you're opening those doors to other people to come share your passion. Yes, yes. And uh, we've developed a, a very, very good reputation. I don't have to look for bands. I get five to ten requests a week for bands that, that want to play there. Wow. So we have our pick of the litter. And given the location where we are, right on I-10, if you're going into South Florida, Tampa, Miami, Jacksonville, you got to go through I-10. So the bands stop off on their way here. Or if they're going up the East Coast, or if they're coming from Chicago going uh, in this neck of the woods, so they want to stop and play. So we get, the, we get our pick of the litter, and, and that's what's made it so nice. For people who don't know where the club is, tell them where your physical location is and then tell them some of the bands that have played and what's on the drawing board for the future. Well, it's the Bradfordville Blues Club. It's off of Bradfordville Road. It's off a dirt road called Moses Lane, and then you crawl up a goat trail called, uh, 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 actually, you go down the dirt road to Sand Lane. The goat trail is Moses Lane, and uh, it's you have to you have to look for it. Yes. It's off the beaten path. You just don't drive by and say, oh, let's stop. Right. you got to know where it is. and uh, You've got to be intentional about finding it. Absolutely. First time I went, I thought I was in the wrong place. Yeah, or we get calls all the time. I'm on some dirt road. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I, I can't be in the right place. In fact, one of the musicians uh, from San Francisco came and we had a bomb. We have a bonfire out there. And when she showed up, Black musician. She saw a bunch of white guys hanging around the bonfire. She would not get out of the van. She thought she came up on a Klan rally. She was so far back in the woods. Uh, yeah, but that's its best asset, and sometimes its most uh, worst asset because it's so far out. Right. Some people say it's too far out. 
but I think people now have gotten used to it. But for the first number of years, I mean, people say, oh, that's too far to go, too far to go. But Tallahassee's built up around right. us. So they keep coming, too. Well, they keep coming. Yeah. We have the same. We have a large group of people. And we see that a lot of the same people, a lot of new people. It's uh, uh, Friday and Saturday only, so I don't have to keep those hours all week long. Every now and then we might do something on a Sunday. We have a bluegrass event on Sundays and we have other events on a Thursday or uh, it was just a, a weekend type of thing unless a special event is, is going to go on. And uh, beer and wine, all it is. We have a lady who fries some of the best catfish this side of the Pacific, Ms. Ernestine. I mean, peop, her catfish is World-renowned. People write about it. Uh, we have a lot of travel writers come out, a lot of travel writers. We probably have three dozen articles about the place, right. and almost all of them talk about Ms. Ernestine's catfish. Nice. I haven't had the catfish. I have uh, to check that out. Well, the mullet's not bad either. Mullet around here just ain't a bad haircut. It's That's a good-eating right. fish. It's very good fish. That's right. Uh, tell people how to go about getting tickets. If somebody wants to check it out and buy tickets, how do they do it? Oh, we, uh, Bradfordville Blues Club. We're back in the woods down that goat trail, but we actually have electricity, <laughs> running water, indoor plumbing, and a website, <laughs> bradfordvilleblues.com. And that has a calendar of events, and you can link to the bands to see who's showing up, see what they sound like. You can buy your tickets there and get reservations uh, and discounts by buying online. Uh, and then uh, it's a matter of finding the place. You know, a lot of people will come out there during the day, you know, because they don't know where it is. And uh, so they come out during the day to find their way. And we also got a an award from the State of Mississippi Blues Commission. It's a called the Mississippi Blues Trail Marker. It's the only blues trail marker in the state of Florida. There's about a dozen of them or so outside the state of Mississippi. But the uh, award, the plaque, a big marker was uh, awarded because of the historical significance of the club to the blues and what was called the Chitlin Circuit. Uh, the musicians uh, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, particularly the black musicians, weren't very welcome in many places. And uh, there were a circuit of clubs uh, that they traveled the, the black jazz musicians, blues musicians, the soul and RB musicians and uh, they would stop by there and uh, we ended up uh, getting a, a plaque from the state of Mississippi because of the historical significance because that place was there for people to stop by and play where they're going from Mississippi to somewhere else so it's uh, and I did not realize how significant that blues trail marker would people drive up all the time people plan vacations around those blues trail markers wow. to visit them all so we get people from all over the world We've had people fly in from Italy just to come to the club, from Germany. We've had bands from Japan and all over the world, Israel. Uh, it's a really neat club. It's very, very unique. It's out in the woods. It's uh, very rustic, uh, but it is modified uh, juke joint. Uh, we've done nothing to change it. That's good. It looks like it did when it was first built. The paint's still the same color. Uh, we dust it once a year, whether it needs it or not. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, <clears throat> you know, we we change the light bulbs every now and then. That's funny. 
You're having fun. You're having fun. Oh, the, you, let's circle back to this thing about karma. You made a comment earlier about uh, a, way, <laughs> a way of redeeming yourself for all the stuff you did as an attorney. I think you're doing it, don't you? You're helping a lot of people have fun. Yes. And you're yes. having fun. That's you know the, the probably the most rewarding thing about the club are the comments that people give us. You know how unique it is, and thanks for doing that. And we get a lot of recognition from the arts community, the international arts community, because of the you know cultural aspect of the club. And it's just so rewarding to know that people enjoy going out there. Now it's not for everybody, but it, it by and large it, we've got a very dedicated group of followers, uh, supporters, uh, bands agents uh it's just a lot of fun i mean we have a lot of special events i'll be conducting a, a wedding out there in a couple of weeks i've conducted probably six seven eight weddings almost all of them people who have met out there uh one of the people actually got engaged the man got down on his knees on the stage during the set break and proposed wow. you know, so it's uh it's, yes, it's, it's very rewarding, personally rewarding. I'm just looking at your face as you describe this. And every time you've talked about the club, it's always the same. Your eyes are bright, big old smile, relaxed. You just, you're just like, as my grandfather said, you're in hog heaven. I am. I'm having the time of my life, 16 years, and I haven't worked a day. I put some blood, sweat, and tears. You know, it's, there's a lot of effort going into it, but it's just so much fun. It's the most enjoyable thing I've ever done in my life next to being married and being a grandparent and a parent. No, 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 no. I wouldn't say that. If I had my druthers, I would have started as a grandparent, skipped the parenting part. A lot more fun being a grandparent. A friend of mine likes to say that having grandchildren is the reward for not killing your children. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now my daughter is, uh, you know, revenge is set upon her. Uh, I get it. She's dealing with the same stuff we had to deal with. Well, let's wrap up here, Gary, and let's end by circling back and talking about how over the years what you've done is by training as an attorney, there were certain things you had to prepare for. You understood the importance of preparing for trial. You had to do your homework. Then you had to take action. And that applies in all areas of our lives. How would you respond to someone who says, yeah, I get that. That's easy for you because you have the training as an attorney. But how do you respond to someone who says that? And what advice would you have as far as how to get started and how to stay on track when all these things come at you, they can knock you off track? One word, preparation. I mean, when I was an engineering inspector, Back in the 70s uh, for the state of Florida and Broward County, I didn't have any real background in it, uh, but I was hired in that capacity. I took some classes, uh, but I prepared. I mean, I, I read a lot. Uh, I did whatever I could to educate myself. When I became a lawyer, uh, I was up against some of the best lawyers in the state, in the city. And they were far more experienced than I was. Uh, I prepared. And my preparation got me uh, over the lack of experience. Uh, uh, preparing for the club. I have to prepare every week for the shows. It's just a matter of focusing on something. Knowing you got to do something. you got to recognize what you need to do. Right. And then, then it's preparing. 
the preparation is the key to anything you do when you're cooking. You got to prep first. You know, when uh, you're getting ready to go out somewhere, you know, you got to prepare. Where are we going? What time we need to be there? Preparation is the, is the key to my life. That's um, gotten me over a lot of hurdles. And having somebody like yourself, uh, and I've had many, many mentors uh, in law yes. who helped me prepare and helped me get to where I am. And what I've recognized, a lot of the things that I needed to know without the mentoring, without the advice, no. I mean, a lot of that's listening to what uh, people have to say and getting the right, right type of advice. And, and listening to it. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other, but listen to it. I mean, we had a meeting a few weeks ago, and I've gone back and I've reread through all the notes and, and the emails. And, you know, it's a matter of, you know, following up, not just preparing, but following up. But preparing is the key, and then following up. And that's the, the thing I look at is the, I have always had to all outwork other people. When I started early in my career, work hard, work hard, work hard, right. and always take care of your clients. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing is allowed to disrupt your client relationship. You always take care of your flock. Right. Always. Mm-hmm. Gary Anton, thank you so much yeah, for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure for 40 years. Thank you, my friend. Thank May we you. do another 40 years. I hope we do. I hope we do. <laughs> Folks, I hope you enjoyed this presentation, and please go out and check out the music at Bradfordville Blues Club. I know you'll enjoy it. I will tell you, though, take some earplugs, and if you forget you yours, Gary has some available. But it's a lot of fun. If you'd like to know more about John Curry Services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Charter Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities products and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances. Not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System, the Living Balance Sheet, and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, copyright 2005-2020. to This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own. 2020-98149 expires April 2022.